Good morning, Grace Church. Welcome to Grace Church Online. Hey, if you are doing solo church today, we want to welcome you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're doing campus church meeting in our sanctuary, socially distant, we want to welcome you. Thank you as well for joining us. And if you're in a home church right now, maybe you're outside in the backyard in the hot sun. Hopefully it's hot out. Uh, we want to welcome you to church today. It is so good to be together, even though uh, we are somewhat apart. Uh, it is important for us to meet and to gather and to be uh, a unified body. And so we get to do that over the internet uh, for this next little bit. Uh, but we are incredibly thankful that you are here joining us this morning. And we ask that you're able to be the church, the hands and feet of Jesus, and hopefully leave encouraged this morning. So at the end of our service, we are going to be uh, participating in a time of communion. So we want to ask you to go and gather uh, some elements for that uh, when the time comes. Uh, but uh, we just want to keep you in the know, have you know that that is something that is going to be happening at the end of our service. So we have been traveling over the past almost year now uh, through the Gospel of John. We've been looking at uh, John's eyewitness account of Jesus, his life, his death, his ministry, his resurrection. And I particularly love John because he takes an artistic, thematic approach of Jesus's life. And uh, he leaves the reader to confront the realities of who Jesus is. And we've looked at, uh, at some of these really uh, outstanding claims that Jesus has made throughout John's gospel. And uh, if these are true claims, some of the things that he's been saying, then that's going to leave you to question and bring you to a place of recognition that Jesus is the awaited king, that he's the son of God, and that he's the bringer of life. So that's the core of what I'm hoping that you walk away with. Actually, that's John's hope as well. If you look at the end of his gospel in John chapter uh, 20 verse 31, he, that, that's his hope as well. And, and that's what I hope you walk away with, understanding that Jesus is the awaited king. He's the son of God and that he's the bringer of life. And so whether you're a follower of Jesus or if you're not a follower of Jesus, my desire is that you interact with Jesus and, and from this interaction that you will live out a new kind of life, both now and forevermore. That's my hope for you this morning. So specifically today, I want you to walk away with this understanding, with this knowledge that Jesus is the light of the world, that Jesus brings forth life into this world by being the light of the world. Because listen, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we live in a world of darkness. If you're, if you're a kid, then, then maybe your, your darkness is, uh, it, maybe it looks like what Jenea read earlier in her story. Where, where, where you're in a world without color and things seem hard and difficult. If you're in high school, then, then maybe darkness looks like the uncertainty of the unknown ahead. The future that just seems to loom over you. 
If you're, maybe you're single and darkness manifests itself through the loneliness that you might feel. If you're a parent, darkness can manifest itself. It can look like your, uh, what your children may experience on the playground. If you're a senior, then darkness can, can look like the discouragement of the hard road of health challenges ahead. We live in a world of, of darkness. And just like in our world now, darkness is present in Jesus' time and in Jesus' world. And so in John's account of Jesus' life, the darkness is real. But where we are in the story, Jesus claims something that is incredibly radical. In uh, John chapter 8, verse 20, he says that, uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So I want to look at this idea of light and darkness. I want to trace it throughout the Bible. And I want to tell you why it's important that Jesus is the light. So let's walk through that together. If you go to page one of your Bibles to Genesis chapter one, the very, very beginning, it lays it out this way. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth didn't have any shape. It was empty. There was darkness over the surface of the waves. At that time, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, check this out, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day. He called the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning. It was day one. So here we're getting a picture that that darkness is present in the beginning, but what does God do? He tames the darkness with the light. And so the author of Genesis is actually pretty clear here. The author of Genesis is clear in painting a mental picture of of a juxtaposition between darkness and between light and how this is going to be an ongoing theme throughout the Bible. That darkness is, it's going to be this picture of stagnancy and light will be active. Darkness will be static and light will be dynamic. Darkness will be the absence of life and light will bring life. Listen, we see this reality actually in our world right now. If you, if you look at plants, so I have had a several, I've had several plants over my life. Sometimes things have gone well. Sometimes things have not gone well. Specifically, when I was in college, I had this wonderful dorm room with this big window with lots of light that shined in through this window. It was great. It heated up my room really, really nicely. And so I had these two plants that sat on my windowsill and they thrived there because of the light. 
And then after school was finished, I moved into a new apartment. All of a sudden now, my windows weren't facing the light anymore. And soon, very soon, my plants started to die. There was no more light, which meant there was no more life. We understand this. We get this picture. And that's what the author of of Genesis is really trying to put into your mind. That this light brings life and the darkness does not. So if we follow this theme continually throughout the Bible, our next stop is going to be in uh, Exodus chapter 40. Now at this moment, the Israelite people, God's people, they had just been in captivity in Egypt. And God had rescued his people out of this land of oppression and slavery. And he's freed them into this new life that's starting in the wilderness. And so here's what, uh, here's what the Bible says about God leading his people through the wilderness. It says this, the Israelites continued their travels. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the holy tent, that's where God was residing, they started out. They were moving. But if the cloud didn't lift, they did not start out. They weren't going anywhere. They stayed until the day it was lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was above the holy tent during the day. Fire was in the cloud at night. All the Israelites could see the cloud during all of their travels. So here we have a picture of God's presence, the the fire, the light. God's presence resting on this, this, uh, this, this tent and moving the Israelite people through the wilderness, leading and guiding their very path. Do you see the picture here? The light is bringing the God's people to life. So if we follow this theme continually, we're going to stop at a guy named Isaiah. Now Isaiah, he's interesting because he introduces a new, uh, a new element to this motif that we're looking at here. Isaiah says this, Israel is blind. So I will lead them along paths that they had not known before. I will guide them on roads they are not familiar with. I will turn the darkness into light as they travel. I will make the rough places smooth. Those are the things I will do. So Isaiah adds this this picture of blindness to this motif. People have been blinded to the light. They can't see the light anymore and they need God to open their eyes in order to see the light that leads to life. Do you see the picture that's being built here? And so now we get to John. We get to where we're at in our story We get to John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus is about to boldly proclaim what? Well, let's read it together. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he says this, 
I am the light of the world. Let that sink in. I am the light of the world. The Jewish people right now, they are observing a festival. They're observing a festival that looks back and reminds them of the the earlier post-wilderness tabernacle experience where God was moving in the tent. This, this is what they're remembering. This is the festival at their time. So their minds are legitimately like they're thinking back to that moment. And Jesus steps in and he says, I am the light. Do you see what he's claiming to, to do here? Let's finish reading that verse. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Jesus is claiming to be the light. Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus is claiming to bring people to a new kind of life. But here's the beautiful thing, is that Jesus doesn't just claim these things. He backs it up. So check it out. Chapter nine of John, just a little bit further on in the story, we have have a story about Jesus interacting with a particular individual that represents something that's going on in this grand motif of light and darkness and blindness and sight. So verse nine of Uh, of chapter nine says this, as Jesus went along, he saw a man who was born blind. He had been born blind. Uh, He had been blind since he was born. Jesus's disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was this man born blind because he sinned or did his parents sin? It isn't because this man sinned, said Jesus. It isn't because his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's power could be shown by what's going to happen. While it is still day, we must do the works of the one who sent me. But night is coming and no one can work. While I am in the world, look at this. I am the light of the world. And after he said this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the spit and then put the mud on the man's eyes. And he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and look at the result. He came home able to see. Jesus proves that he is God by healing his eyes. Jesus proves that he is light by bringing sight. Jesus proves that he brings about a new life by restoring what 
was broken. Is that not a beautiful picture? Do you see why Jesus said what he said? It all lines up. And so here's what this means for you and for me. Because this has massive implications for my life and for yours. Is that without Jesus, if Jesus isn't part of the picture, we cannot see the light. We are like the blind man. We are in darkness. Listen, there's many of us right now who are in the midst of intense isolation and we feel that darkness around us. We feel the the, the depression that has been building up within us. The hopelessness, the brokenness. Like let's take for example the 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 issue of of race and racism and how we're supposed to answer that whole conversation and how many different responses there can be and how it almost seems like every answer doesn't really make it right There's a sense of hopelessness that washes over us because we are relying on our own human wisdom to get through those things. And so the darkness is present and the darkness is real. These are the realities that we are born into and we have to fight through. All the time, we have to fight through the reality of darkness if you are a human being and you are living in this world right now. And listen, this is scary. This is depressing. It's uncertain. And it's unsustainable. As humans, we're we're not meant to fight our way through the darkness. And we cannot stay existing in this darkness. We are in need of rescue. We're in need of a savior. We're in need of Jesus to bring light into our darkness. To bring sight when we are blind. To bring us into a new humanity, restored and renewed. And listen, Jesus has done this by his death on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross has freed us into a new humanity as children of light. His death has pierced the darkness. His his blood has washed us clean. His spirit has been generously given to bring new life to the light. We can be freed from this darkness. But as I was sitting and contemplating this very powerful and real reality, I looked at our own situation and and I realized that the light can be painful to eyes that are familiar with the dark. 
Light can be painful to eyes that are familiar to the dark. Sometimes when I wake up in the middle of the night and I feel the rumblings in my stomach for something to eat, I leave my bed and walk to my fridge. And as I do, I can pretty fairly well see the, the space around me. Now, when I was younger and I would do this, I would open up the fridge and I'd see the majestic milk that's sitting on the top shelf and I'd drink from uh, the bottle directly to my lips as it satisfies my inner quench. But I would open both my eyes when I opened the fridge and my eyes would adjust to the light. And after I was done consuming my milk, I would close the fridge And all of a sudden, I couldn't see anymore. My eyes had been adjusted. And so I learned to wake up at the middle of the night, to go to the fridge, and to keep one eye closed as one eye is adjusting to the light. That way, when I'm done with the milk and I can close the fridge, I switch my eyes, and the eye that is stayed adjusted to the darkness, is now able to see, and I'm able to make it back to my room. Listen, I fear that some of us respond to Jesus in that way. Like we like what we see, and so we open one eye towards Jesus, and we take in the light, and it's good, and it's great, but we close the other eye so that when we're done with Jesus, we can see the things we want to see in the darkness. Listen, we live this way when we look at the teachings of Jesus, but we don't live out those teachings of Jesus. When we know of the transformation that comes from Jesus, but we don't commit to that transformation. When we hear of of generosity, but instead we hold on to what we have been given. When we're aware of the forgiveness that is found in Christ, yet we fail to forgive. When we understand his freedom, but we continue to live in bondage, this is not what we were intended to be. This is not what we were intended to do. Listen, we need to walk as children of the light. There's a guy named Paul, and he wrote to a church in a place called Ephesus. And this is what he writes to this body of believers. He says, at one time you were in the dark, but now you are in the light because of what the Lord has done. So live like children of the light. The light produces what is completely good, right, and true. Find out what pleases the Lord and have what? Nothing to do with the acts of darkness. They don't produce anything good. 
Show what they are really like. It is shameful to even talk about what people who don't obey do in secret. But everything the light shines on can be seen. And everything that the light shines on becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead. Then Christ will shine on you. So be very careful how you live. Do not live like the people who aren't wise. Live like people who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity. The days are evil. So don't be foolish. Instead, understand what the Lord wants. Don't fill yourself up with wine. Getting drunk will lead to wild living. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord and always give thanks. Always give thanks to God, the Father, for everything Give thanks to him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Paul encourages the Ephesian church to discern, to discern what is pleasing to the Lord if they are wanting to walk as children of the light. And so for us, we can take from that three examples of how that looks. To expose the sin in our life to expose the darkness, the brokenness that we face in our life. Let that be known to to Christ, to God. Expose it. Second is, is live, trusting God's spirit to move you, to encourage you, to empower you. And thirdly, to give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. He has done such an incredible thing by exposing us to the light and by freeing us into a new life. Give thanks to him. In order to be in the light, we need to know who our God is. In order to be in the light, we need to know who our God is. Listen, this is that, that is our mandate. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore. As long as we are alive, we need to know who God is. And as a church, we are to live in submission to his personal and powerful presence, recognizing that you are loved. You are loved so much that Jesus has set you free. You have the option to reflect light into this world. You have the option to see the correct path of life No darkness can touch the light. 
And you are freed to a new life full of possibilities. So you can know all of those things. But you can also know that one day there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. The Lord God will give them light and they will rule forever and ever. 